The following is a paid program. Welcome to Garden Talk with your local growing experts from Bookleaf Gardens, where we help you grow. Well, good morning, everyone. Along with Steph Griggs, I'm Mona Dyer, and this is Garden Talk, brought to you by Bookcliff Gardens. Where we help you grow. Well, what a lovely wet weekend ahead. Rainy today and Sunday. Clearing on Monday with highs in the low 50s. Tuesday, partly cloudy with a high near 60. Oh my goodness, that'll be awesome. We'll have another band of moisture come through about midweek. And uh, right now, moisture, uh, we got about a tenth of an inch of rain on Friday. And it rained, at least at my house, it rained all night long. uh, Moving that little moisture meter just a little bit more ahead of the average range. So uh, that's exciting news. So, speaking of news, uh, there is a little monster that has uh, kind of taken up a lot of time in the news recently. Japanese beetle has been uh, uh, a big deal here. And I do have uh, a special guest in the studio this morning, Melissa Mel Schreiner, who's the entomologist with CSU Tri-River Extension, is our special guest here this morning. And we are going to uh, hammer out some details about what's going on, uh, what's what's taken place, what is taking place. So, Mel, welcome. Uh, so happy to have you. Yeah, thank you so much. For of course, me. of course. So, let's start with... Um, the the beetle itself well let's let's talk about why it is uh, a big deal that this creature has arrived here so really it's it all comes down to the biology of this beetle and you know it's one of the top invasive species in the united states um really the you know the history is that the japanese beetle um it arrived in the united states in the early 1900s and it came from Japan. It actually arrived here um, on nursery stock. The grubs were within nursery plants that had been shipped here for the World's Fair. And, and since it's, you know, it's taken hold over the eastern United States and it's, it's slowly creeping its way west. And you know, it's a very damaging organism, not only in the larval form when it's young, but when it is an adult. Um, it's you know, documented to feed on over 300 plants and it has several dozen ornamental and crop plants that are some of its favorites to consume. All right, so here in the valley, um, we just happen to have uh, some of the Japanese beetles' favorites, and what are those? So grapes would be absolutely one of them. Irrigated turf grass, you know, we also worry about its potential to get into our tree fruit systems as well that are valued at, you know, multi-millions of dollars. Right. So, so here uh, in the not-too-distant past, uh, we had been a success story as far as uh, beating back a, an attack of Japanese beetle. Talk a bit about that. Yes, so really the, the history in, in Colorado is, is complex and unique. You know, it's, it's established on the Front Range. And, you know, back in the early 2000s, 2002 to be exact, a master gardener actually detected the inv- invasive Japanese beetle. They found an adult. And it was the following year that Um, CSU Extension and Mesa County and many, many others involved launched an eradication program in the Palisade area. And this was um, very mainly successful due to the fact that this area, you know, due to the fact that it has a high concentration of tree fruit and grape production, there is a taxing pest district called the Upper Grand Valley Pest Control District. And if you live within that area as a citizen, you are taxed that tax money ends up into an emergency fund and they were able to pull from those funds to quickly get control out and you know 
it was a success story within a matter of years. The, the data was able to show that with treatment of essentially every lawn was treated or dried down in the city of Palisade back in the early 2000s, and by 2009, this beetle was successfully eradicated. They weren't catching anymore. It wasn't just a one and done. It was, it was a multi-year effort, and everyone pitched in. Okay, so here we stand today, and um, where do we stand today? What has happened, and where are we going from here? So just some background on our current infestation is mid-July last year, 2022, a CDA trapper named Melissa Franklin, she also works for our program as well. She was working part-time for the CDA, and she trapped an adult Japanese beetle. They were first detected at book cliff gardens mm -hmm. and that's you know very much because this this garden center voluntarily traps with the cda they do their due diligence they're responsible every year they make sure they themselves are not bringing in japanese right and and uh, just as a side note um i've worked at book cliff for almost two decades and for that whole time there have always been japanese beetle traps set out at at the garden center it's just we always have them out it's a voluntary, you know, but a very important mm -hmm. program to participate in. And nurseries and garden centers do an excellent job of doing their due diligence, being responsible, and participating with this statewide, you know, CDA, Colorado Department of Agricultural Monitoring Program. And these traps are highly, highly attractive. And so once beetles were caught, traps started to go around the surrounding area. And what was found was there was about four or five subdivisions south of Bookcliff Gardens that were detecting high numbers of beetles and that is now known as the hot zone so south of book cliff gardens there is an area of several you know about a neighborhood um, or you know several subdivisions that are impacted by this beetle and it's it's mainly that you know this beetle is allowed or is able to survive in in a neighborhood setting or in a park setting because of turf grass but it wouldn't survive without it being irrigated so lawns and neighborhoods will and golf courses will will absolutely be a hot spot for this beetle. And that, that does seem to be the case is, um, you know, Bookcliff Gardens has done their due diligence. They've worked with the state to do record checks. They have come back clean. Bookcliff Gardens does not appear to be the source of this beetle. It actually appears that either a private citizen brought this over from potentially Denver in a potted plant. You know, if you had spent hundreds of dollars on geranium plants and decided to move from Denver to Grand Junction and didn't realize you were bringing untreated plant material with you, that would be quite, you know, that could definitely introduce an infestation. It could be that an adult or two eventually, maybe a few years ago, from the front range was brought over in a vehicle and then a breeding population very slowly started. Or maybe someone here locally didn't have a source of turf grass and bought turf grass from Denver and somehow something slipped through the, the cracks. And we really cannot prove, and I can't emphasize this enough, where this beetle came from. But pointing the finger and associating any blame with this is not not my suggestion moving forward let's collaborate we need to really come together in unity and you know we have a, a you know, this is a mesa county issue and this is a problem to solve and ultimately down to the biology i can tell you we can't we can't really prove how it came here but unfortunately you know it has arrived and, and likely it it did come you know very potentially from either the infestation on the front range or even potentially you know more minimally so maybe another state out east some someone had ordered material and a quarantine was broken right and you know for for uh, those that are listening plant material that is shipped into colorado uh, for nurseries uh, garden centers whatever that material 
has to be treated. It, it is the, the law. Um, USDA requires that those plant materials, those root balls, are treated against a Japanese beetle coming into Colorado. And for us here on the Western Slope, um, we have not purchased plant material from even the Eastern Slope for many, many years because of the infestation of Japanese beetle that is there. We have not imported even across the mountains just because of the threat that that particular insect uh, poses against our fruit production entities, our, our friends in the fruit production industry. So, you know, we've, we've been trying to be careful, but as Mel says, here we are. We have um, taken action. Uh, to, the county commissioners um, have know, now the wheels under the bus, if you will, because at this point, time is of the essence. So let's talk about that some. Yes, so it was Tuesday last week that the Board of County Commissioners here in Mesa County declared the Japanese beetle as a nuisance pest, which is an ordinance that was officially passed here in Mesa County. And there is going to be the hotspot and surrounding areas of Mesa County that will be funded for treatment. And that area is to be determined. You know, meetings are happening this week and next to determine really the area of focus, but it will not be, I want to clarify, it will not be all of Mesa County that is treated. So if you live within five miles of that hotspot, CSU Extension and the county is recommending that you do your due diligence within your means and be responsible to treat that turf grass that's irrigated. And if you even live without that, with outside that five mile radius, you would be encouraged to treat within your means as well. There's, there's you know, companies you'd be able to hire that would have licensing to spray certain products, but there's also retail formulations under the name of Grub X. This is a granular product that's it's very safe. It's, you know, it's considered by the EPA to be, you know, a very safe product. And it, um, it doesn't, doesn't hurt children, doesn't hurt pets, doesn't hurt people. Um, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer type of situation. We do have a tool to solve, to solve this problem. There's, there's many control options, but a Celeprin with the active ingredient chlorantranilaprol, quite a mouthful, is what we are recommending through CSU Extension. Okay. Now, the, the people that are in the, the hot zone, are they going to be notified? Uh, and, and what's the mechanism that that is uh, going to happen in? Yes. So the mechanism is going to be properties that are going to receive support on treatment are going to be notified via a letter from Mesa County Noxious Weed and Pest. There is going to be information in there about allowing the Colorado Department Agriculture to give them the authority to, tr to trap that beetle, to place a trap on that property for monitoring purposes. And then additionally, there will be some language in there from Mesa County about allowing them, you're going to be providing consent with this letter, you know, the county and the city are going to be coming together to ask citizens in this area for consent to treat their property. And so it will be trapping consent and treatment consent. And it will be within, by, I would say, by the end of March, no later, that these these impacted properties would be approached by, by county. And the, and the reason that that is happening so quickly is because these these beetles, the, if there are grubs out there in the lawns, these beetles are on the move right now. The babies are on the move. Am I correct? That is correct. So looking at the life cycle of the Japanese beetle, as of right now, they've, you know, they've overwintered deep in the soil they go down low where it's insulated as a, a mid to late instar grub and they 
it's not hibernation, but they're not, there's not much activity. And how, how deep would you estimate? You know, off the top of my head, I mean, it could be, it could be six, six inches more. I mean, okay. they, they go pretty far down into the soil. Um, not exactly sure the, the number of inches, but as temperatures warm, these grubs come up to feed on suitably moist turf grass roots. And it's during, you know, it's during this time that it's really, it's the spring or very early summer that treatments to lawns occur that will allow later for eggs that are laid and young larvae to, to perish. So there's a really simple product and a simple solution to this. We just have to get product out over this large surface area of lawns. So beetles that are flying around this summer, when they lay eggs in that lawn, you know, those will not be hatching next year. Sure. As adults. Sure. So, um, and Japanese beetles, we have, um, am I correct, we have two times when we stand a chance at being able to, to get at the grub portion of them? Yes, and that's based on a lot of label language, but yes, it's really thought that there can be, you know, a, s a spring to early summer treatment, and then there's additional, you know, kind of rescue treatments for those grubs before they migra migrate back down into the soil in the fall. There's also a chance to hit them with a product as okay, well. Okay, great. All right, well, we are up against our first commercial break. Um, our special guest today is Mel Schreiner. She's the entomologist with CSU Tri-River Extension, and we're talking about um, uh, that little monster, the Japanese beetle that has arrived in uh, an area of Mesa County. So stick with us. Uh, we'll be back in a few minutes, and uh, we'll visit a little bit more with Mel. I'm Mona Dyer. This is Garden Talk. We'll be right back. Pine Country Truck and Trailer has expanded to Montrose. You can expect the same professional service, parts availability, and accessories that have made Pine Country Western Colorado's largest trailer dealer. Pine Country has over 500 trailers in stock, including utility, dump, or work trailers and cargo haulers. And see them for truck bed conversions or truck and trailer accessories. Pine Country Truck and Trailer, now in Montrose at 2760 North Townsend next to Flower Motor Company and always online at pinecountryinc.com. At Monument Payments, we understand that your point-of-sale system is oftentimes the lifeblood of your business. If it's not running, you're not able to take credit card sales. You're not able to accept payments. You're losing money. We are a local payment processing provider. We are experts in point-of-sale systems, credit card processing. We are here to help on-site, in person. Give us a call at Monument Payments, 970-239-1307, or find us on the web at Monument Payments. Mi nombre es Bárbara Meléndez y soy un cirujano con el Instituto Vascular de Rockies. Yo me especializo en un problema que se llama síndrome del tórax. Cuando no hay suficiente espacio, una de esas estructuras puede tener problemas que pueden causar eh, coágulos en la vena o problemas de flujo de sangre hacia la mano. Este problema es más común en gente más joven, gente activa. Para este tipo de problema, usted no necesita eh, ser referido a la... El número de la clínica es el 970-852-48. As your American Family Insurance agent, I'm looking out for what matters to you. This is Rick Nelson, agent in Grand Junction. Let's talk about all your insurance needs today. The Rick Nelson Agency at American Family Insurance has an experienced team of professionals, great discounts for good drivers, and bundled policies. For a free, no-obligation quote, contact Rick Nelson at 970-241-0078. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, SI, and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. It's time to wake up your walls. Don't be stuck with boring art or frames that are falling apart. Bring it to the Frame Depot and let us work our magic. 
a new matte color can work wonders to make your art exciting again. Drag that print out from under the bed, you know, the one you've been meaning to frame. Let's get it on your wall so you can finally enjoy it. We also have gifts to make your world more cozy, friendly, and fun. The Hot Cider is still on, so stop into the Frame Depot today. We're on Bogart Lane next to Sam's Club. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. 90% of foster kids, when they do age out of the system, go out there and they're alone, and that's why a lot of them end up homeless or on drugs. They get stuck in a rut and they don't realize that there's more out there for themselves. Having that support and guidance from somebody who you can call really does make a bigger impact than people realize. And Foster Alumni Mentors could possibly help provide those things. I'm Lexi with Foster Alumni Mentors. If you want to learn more, go to fosteralumnimentors.org. Our goal is to connect, inspire, and empower. Filling out your news bracket. Clearly, the number one seed is China. And if you want upsets, there's plenty to be upset about. News Radio 1100, KNZZ. Welcome back to Garden Talk with your hosts from Bookleaf Gardens. Well, welcome back, everyone. I'm Mona Dyer, and this is Garden Talk, brought to you by Bookcliff Gardens. Our special guest this morning is Mel Schreiner. She is the entomologist with CSU Tri-River Extension. And we're talking about uh, the Japanese beetle that has appeared here in uh, western Colorado, more specifically an area uh, of Mesa County, uh, roughly between Canyon View Park and Bookcliff Country Club, roughly H Road, not quite to G Road, I think. Um, so talk about talk about that zone. Um, how how were those? How was that area kind of so far designated? No, it's a great question, and you know the trapping data that we've obtained is critically important at this point. So mid July last season, the folks that got those traps out had to pretty much drop everything to make sure that they were going to be spreading an appropriate net over the area to make sure that we could try to pinpoint where the beetles were in highest proportion and mainly what happened was once once they started to actually gain um, an idea that they needed to push farther south to look for the beetles once they they that's what the data was showing um, they ended up actually, Mesa County Weed and Pest and the Colorado Department of Agriculture sent out letters to private property owners and asked for the, uh, you know, the uh, permission to, to trap those, those properties. And what that allowed was more data points. So essentially an anybody that consented to that trapping ha had a trap placed by a CDA personnel. And, you know, I, I have to thank, you know, our members of the Colorado Department of Agriculture that really stepped up to help provide us this map that was then made by Chris Cadle at 
the Mesa County IT department. And so really there was just based on the numbers that we were finding in traps, we, we spread out in, in a direction where if there was one caught in one trap, but 18 caught in another, just random numbers, we would move in the direction of that, that higher number just to make sure that we had traps covering that area to, to get that important data that we need so desperately now to decide what are the areas that we need to be laying chemical down to control this invasive insect. Of course. So will more traps be going out this year uh, in, a, in a wider net? Because it, it would seem to me that uh, the, the little dots that we see on that map, those are um, areas, that's an indicator of where a trap was. A dot that's filled in indicates that, yes, there were beetles that were caught there. An empty dot is a trap that went unfilled. Am I correct? That is correct. Okay. So will more traps be put out as as lures to see whether the the area is actually larger than what we think. That's absolutely correct. And that, that portion of this project is going to be manned by personnel of the Colorado Department of Agriculture, Plant Industry. Under the Pest Control Act in the state of Colorado, it's important to realize that the Colorado Department of Agriculture has legal authority under this Pest Control Act to trap but not treat private property. And in the state of Colorado, it actually is local government like Mesa County and the city of Grand Junction that pull authority from that Pest Control Act to perform treatment on private property. So mainly the CDA will be focusing on a very robust trapping program. They have plans to put that into place. So yes, this, this trapping area, there, there will be more traps going out and treatment will be handled by Mesa County and the city of Grand Junction. Is it... Uh, is it okay for people to contact the state and ask for a trap to be put in their property, or should should we just wait to see how things play out? The CDA will be choosing properties and locations, and I, I assume there's going to be, you know, some type of update on what their plans are. And, you know, at this point in time, I would say waiting for an update may be, may be best. But, no, it's going to be an ongoing effort this, this season. Is there uh, a spot where people that are concerned can go uh, to get um, updates a little quicker rather than waiting for it to show up on the news or waiting, waiting? Because sometimes we get antsy having to wait. Yes, of course. And the CSU Extension Tri-River Area Office, it, we have an open door policy. Please come in. We take walk-ins. You know, you're always welcome to get a hold of me. But we do have a Japanese beetle phone tree that was established. And you can call the number 970-248-7000. And that phone tree will give you an option to ping members of the Colorado Department of Agriculture, members or to call the office of Mesa County Noxious Weed and Pest or lastly CSU Extension the Tri-River area and you could end up talking to me but but please know CDA is really in charge of trapping efforts Mesa County Noxious Weed and Pest is in charge of treatment and Colorado State University Extension in the Tri-River area is really taking on the educational component of this and you're welcome to come see us at Extension especially because you know, there are lookalikes to the Japanese beetle. And, and, and what, what, which guys are those? You know, there's, there's even several dozen insects that folks could confuse, but we've got other May and June beetles. We have mass chafers. So there are other scarab beetles that, 
even as larvae look very similar to the Japanese beetle. And I believe it was even last year, Mona, we were talking about southwestern mass shaper mm -hmm. grubs folks had brought in. So there are more native, you know, there's native grubs here that feed on turf. There's going to be lots of questions about grub identification, but also adults that look similar to Japanese beetle this spring. It's going to be quite a popular topic, I believe, across our area. And I think it's critically important to don't make an assumption of what you have before you come and talk to us at Extension. I would be the individual or to bring it to our Master Gardener help desk. You know, th these are critical things. You know, you can bring photos, but actually bringing in a specimen is... is so le let me just tell you what Mel does when you bring her a grub. She takes this little grub and she puts it under a microscope and she counts the hairs on its bottom. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, she does. I, I mean, it's, it's, that, it's that nitpicky as far as figuring out what kind of insect baby, beetle baby she is looking at. This lady knows what she's doing. She's magic. <laughs> <laughs> I trained for many years in an entomology lab to get where I'm at, and I'm grateful to be able to use my skills of identification to, to help folks come to a conclusion and a consensus of what the identification is of that insect that they have. Additionally, she trained for many years um, under uh, Dr. Whitney Crenshaw, and you have heard us speak here on the program many, many times about Whitney the bug guy and Mel trained under his tutelage. So I am completely confident that she knows what she is doing and what she's talking about. So when somebody is gathering up a sample, what, what would you prefer? How should they transport this creature to you? Dead or alive, what, what do you want? You know, typically, that's a, you know, Mona, that's a great question. If you have grubs, a photo is not going to cut it. So my recommendation is going out and you would be able to, with, with a knife, cut into a square of sod. And if you feel you have grubs, you could collect some of those grubs into a rigid container, so something that they won't get crushed within. Um, sometimes folks want, want to use Ziploc bags, and that can be okay if you, if you are careful with the specimen, but damaged specimens make it more difficult for us entomologists to identify. So my recommendation would be to bring it in a Tupperware and you know to watch the temperature too. Um, it doesn't matter really if the grubs die, but sometimes when things get too hot, they get a little slimy. And, and they stink. And stinky. So please, yeah, you'd want to collect the specimen as soon as you know you plan to bring it into the extension office. Um, you know, there's going to be questions on grub identification, which will really be coming straight to me. But some questions on adults, we're going to be running through our Master Gardener help desk here at the Tri-River Area Extension Office, which will mean some Master Gardeners will be able to diagnose if there's an adult look like maybe it's another type of June beetle or maybe it's a, a stink bug. Th those are maybe, to some folks' eyes, similar in appearance. They're green and would maybe be found upon a plant. And folks are going to see insects this year differently in our area. F there's a lot of fear around this. And all I can encourage is for folks to reach out for, for more information. Come into Extension and provide us a sample and pictures don't hurt but really a, a physical sample especially for grubs is required mm -hmm, mm -hmm. very good so if they happen upon a, a single beetle a single strange thing that they haven't seen before scoop it off into a jar 
maybe poke some holes in the top so it doesn't suffocate and take it to you so you can take a look at it Yeah, dead or alive would be fine some i mean if folks are very concerned they're not squashed though yeah not squashed please what what many entomologists do and actually i think whitney may have taught me this was you can stick that in the freezer and leave it there for a little while and that's going to do the trick and then Mm. it can be brought in if you're worried about you know sometimes especially with with critters like bed bugs i do require you know that folks double bag and would you know i'd ask for those specimens to be dead but so some specimens we want to be more careful about if we're moving them around alive but in this instance i think it would be just fine to bring it in in a container dead or alive so i've i've heard tell that japanese beetles are kind of like fainting goats if you touch them they just kind of let go of what they're doing and they fall to the ground is that right that is correct that's funny it's 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 rather funny and it can be it's actually quite a tactic that they've evolved to have so when someone is approaching a japanese beetle um, there's actually even management that some folks will hand pick or knock off the beetles into buckets of soapy water. (laughs) And it's because they all just let go at once and free fall to the ground that they end up landing in that soapy water and they perish. So that can actually be a means of control. And this is done on the front range because there are such high populations of beetles that especially things like rose that are absolutely one of the beetles favorites, a very highly attractive plant, you know, to people, but also to the Japanese beetle. You know, folks are, you know, are desperate. They have to actually hand knock off these beetles from these blooms or there, there won't be any blooms at all. Just completely eat the plant down to a nub. Yeah, they will, they, they will have favorite parts of the plant, you know, but they feed on flowers, leaves, that type of foliage. They even are noted to feed on fruit occasionally, depending on what they're in the mood for. Oh my gosh. With a beetle like this, that's polyphagous, which means it feeds on many types of plants it will have certain preferences. And they're quite strong flyers and they just fly around the landscape and look at what they're hungry for. Man, oh man, oh man. What a mess, what a mess. All right, well, we are getting close to our last commercial break. I think we'll take it now. Um, For those of you listening out there, if you've got a question, something on your mind uh, for Mel, give us a call. Our number is 245-1100. 245-1100. We'll take those calls right after this last commercial break. Along with uh, Mel Schreiner, I'm Mona Dyer. This is Garden Talk, and we'll be right back. Are your nights feeling stressful instead of restful? Are you feeling fatigued and tired? Hi, this is Dr. Bob with Horizon Dental Care. We are pleased to offer Night Lace, a revolutionary treatment to eliminate snoring and lessen the effects of sleep apnea. It's a quick, painless procedure, and you will see results right away. Find out about how Night Lace can help you sleep and feel better with more energy to do the things you love. Check us out online, Horizon Dental Care. It's not just about teeth. The main problem with buying a car for a lot of folks is the negotiation part of it. We're talking with Keith Lowell of Discovery Auto Group. They love picking out the new car. They love driving it. They love the whole process until it gets to that point. We recognize that, and so we just don't do it. We don't want to make it tedious and boring and arduous. We want you to enjoy that process. There's no hidden fees. There's no dealer fees. We price them fair. We put them in a position that you can walk on and get a fair price right off the bat. We want to make it easy and fun. Discovery Auto Group, Highway 6 and 50, and discoveryautogroup.com. 
The Montrose Spring Home Expo is back in town. Join us March 10th through 12th at the Montrose Fairgrounds and Friendship Hall. It's free and fun for all. Save big on all your home improvement projects and meet with local remodeling experts. Get multiple quotes on products and services all in one place and take advantage of exclusive show savings. Bring friends and family to the Montrose Home Expo to see what's new in home improvement, craft, and design. Enter our giveaway with prizes from Jimmer's Barbecue. Visit MontroseHomeExpo.com for expo times and more. It's free. See you there. At A1 Heating and Cooling, the techs are not only experts in their field, but continue to support the values A1 was founded on. Call the experts you can trust to make sure your equipment works efficiently and you're paying what you should. A1 Heating and Cooling, 970-625-2136. KMZZ, dependable weather. Showers continue into Saturday, Grand Junction, 54, Montrose, 50. Showers overnight, 36. Still a chance Sunday, 54. Mostly sunny Monday, 56. Hi, I'm Lexi, and I'm a ambassador with Foster Alumni Mentors. They help people who have aged out of the system of foster care or who have been impacted by foster care or adoption. For me, it has given me that sense of family that I was lacking. They helped me get a deposit for a place. I went from being homeless to working a job making more than I ever dreamed about making. That's because of Foster Alumni Mentors. I would not be where I am without them. If you want to learn more, go to fosteralumnimentors.org. Our goal is to connect, inspire, and empower. If you served in the Vietnam, Gulf War, or post-9-11 eras, you may be eligible for expanded VA benefits. A new law, known as the PACT Act, provides disability compensation, health care, free toxic exposure screenings, and more to veterans who were exposed to toxins during their military service. You can submit a claim for your PACT Act-related benefits now. Claims received by August 10, 2023 may be paid back to August 10, 2022. Visit va.gov forward slash PACT to learn more and file your claim. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. America's employers added a substantial 311,000 jobs in February. That was fewer than January's big gain, but easily enough to keep pressure on the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates aggressively to try and fight Inflation, the unemployment rate rose to 3.6%, up from a 53-year low of 3.4% as more Americans began searching for work, but not all were able to find jobs in the process. China has named the country's next premier a close confidant of top leader Xi Jinping, and most observers say it's Xi's chance to try and solidify his own power. Li was nominated by Xi and appointed to the position at a morning session of the National People's Congress today in Beijing. On Wall Street on Friday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 345 points. This is SRN News. You never know what'll be said, what you'll hear, or how you'll feel. Joe Pags, weekday evenings at 10 on 1100 KNCC. Welcome back to Garden Talk with your hosts from Bookleaf Gardens. Since 1968, where we help you grow. Well, welcome back, everyone. I'm Mona Dyer, and this is Garden Talk. Our special guest this morning is Mel Schreiner. She's the entomologist with CSU Tri-River Extension, and we're talking about Japanese beetles today. Uh, They have been uh, discovered here in Mesa County as of last summer, and uh, Mesa County has 
uh, gone ahead and uh, we're moving forward from uh, the standpoint of trying to stamp this population down before it becomes a real problem and can begin attacking our agricultural areas uh, further to our east. So uh, we do have a caller on line one. Good morning, Debbie. How can we help? Good morning, Mona. And um, so what's your question today? It, it is about uh, the ash beetle as well, since you have your expert there. Um, where everybody's c killing all their ash trees because they have some sort of beetle? What well, is the, that? There's a whole pest complex in ash. Um, there's the lilac ash borer. There's ash bark beetle. And there's also the threat... Uh, you know, the impending doom of the emerald ash borer, which we have not yet received here. So, yes, there has been some, you know, a conversation in our area about whether ash trees should be sold and planted or removed. So, yes, this is an ongoing topic in our area. Mm -hmm. So, how do you, uh, okay, you ha if you have an established, beautiful ash tree, um, so what do you do if it has those beetles? Depending on the severity of the infestation would depend on if you'd even want to treat that ash. Some ash would be too far gone to even, you know, spend a lot of money mm -hmm. to treat that tree. Really, it comes mm -hmm. down to if you have a very healthy tree and you want to do a preventative treatment, you would you'd reach out to an arborist, a tree care professional company. And any mm -hmm. reputable company would give you a quote up front and would discuss with you the treatment plan. And you would have them out, and they would work with you to help save that tree. But it's hard when you have a whole a whole landscape of ash. You have to sometimes pick your favorites. Okay, that's a good point. Okay, um, okay this this ash tree is in a um, focal point in a, in a beautiful neighborhood, and it's a beautiful tree. It's very old. And um, in autumn, you know how beautiful they are. Um, <clears throat> and so, are you supposed to wait until spring ha comes, and then if there's more branches, like big branches that die, cut them off? I. That's what my friend Chuck is doing. It's, he, it's the, um, it, that's a question for the arborist. Uh, the arborists are the ones that uh, can, can best gauge what needs to happen with that tree as far as being able to save it. So have have uh, the neighbor talk with the arborist to be able to uh, uh, deal with that problem. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You betcha. Thanks for the call. All right, so uh, where the Japanese beetle is right now, we are in the middle of March, and that Japanese beetle, where are those beetle babies right now? They are migrating up to begin over the next few weeks to start to feed on turf grass roots. They're going to be mid to late instar larvae, which are some of the hardest to kill. They're going to be ferociously munching on irrigated turf grass roots, and after they complete that growing feeding phase, they're going to pupate in the soil and they're going to cook to be an adult. And they will be emerging from, from the soil, you know, pretty much when you can tell that it's, it's absolutely summertime, like we sometime in June, definitely July. Mm -hmm. And then those beetles are going to come out. There's only one generation per year, thank goodness, of the Japanese beetle, because if there was more than that, what would we really do? Mm -hmm. So 
really there's only one time per year that adults come out and emerge and then soon begin feeding on plants ferociously. They'll choose various ones across the landscape to impact and defoliate. They'll eat the flowers, they'll eat the leaves. They won't necessarily mow something to the ground, but they're going to skeletonize those leaves so those leaves can't move around sugars and, you know, water won't be able to be moved around the plant. And soon after that, the beetle adults will start to mate and they will then begin, those impregnated females will begin laying eggs in irrigated turf grass sites that are suitably moist. That, that's an important feature. They require moisture for successful egg hatch and those early instar larvae are very susceptible to drying. Okay. The, the different plants that the adults like to feed on, we've already mentioned the grapes and the roses. What other kinds of plants might people keep an eye on in their yards or, uh, you know, on their farm or whatever uh, to, to kind of help them gauge whether or not there might be a problem? Great question. Look at your gardens. Look at your annual plants, your perennial plants, especially ones that have a large blooming component. Um, those are going to be highly attractive to the Japanese beetle, you know, especially isolating in on, you know, grape that's planted ornamentally in the landscape and roses. Those, in my mind, on top of maybe Virginia creeper that would be crawling along fence lines, those would be great plants to be, be checking. Any, any ornamental plant really should be monitored. That can include trees and large shrubs that maybe have thousands of blooms on them. They may be difficult to to monitor and traps at this time can be used to monitor for the Japanese beetle adult as it's not established in our area. If I was over in Denver and I put a trap up, I would just be calling them over to my place for a big party. So <laughs> right now that's not the case. We actually can use traps as a tool. And so by launching this robust trapping program this next year, we hope to gain more data on it. But if folks are curious, these traps you can call over to extension. I'd be happy to point you in the direction of how you would source one for yourself if you're curious about doing some active monitoring. We During the break, we're talking about um, whether or not there is any potential for damage to irrigated pastures. And, and the answer really is we're not sure. It sounds like it's really going to be, there needs to be a grass component, like maybe a grass hay, hay field. It's not that it's impossible that they'd end up in there. I can't say that it would be impossible, but I really feel it won't necessarily be a hot spot area like a golf course, a city park, a neighborhood, someone's lawn. Those are going to be more favorable sites. Doesn't mean that that's not a possible site. So what we're recommending in extension is if folks do have hay mixes or you know grass hay fields they're concerned about, that would be an option is to, tr is to trap for this beetle and to just do active monitoring so that you can see how the behavior of that beetle is really interacting with, with your plants before you spray acreage. I mean, that's expensive. So making an informed decision with trapping data would be our recommendation. Right. So uh, I, I guess really the, the big takeaway here is at this point, we're just asking everybody to be a bug scout. Everybody should be um, watching because we're really all in this together. Do, do you, you agree? I completely agree. I think this is a, a real time to step up for your community. And many of us care deeply for our lawns and we want to continue to protect those lawns. And 
this would be an utter nuisance if it were to establish here. You know, there's there's multiple reasons we don't want Japanese beetle in the Grand Valley, and this is because it could be a pest of our tree fruit and grapes, which is a multi-million dollar industry. Can you imagine if they were to be burdened any more than they are to produce that tree fruit? It'd be more expensive to manage. Not that there aren't tools, but it's one more thing for these folks to have to deal with. And what happens with export if we get if we can't defeat the Japanese beetle? We may get quarantined. We may, you know, anybody with plant material and moving plant material would end up having quite a headache of inspections with CDA and there are programs in place, but it's expensive to have to certify plant material before it's exported out of state just to prove that you do not have Japanese beetle in it. This beetle would also negatively affect turf grass and feed on ornamental and garden plants. This beetle would negatively affect the green industry, as I just mentioned with you know, the green industry, our garden centers, our nurseries, they deal with potted plants and they are the ones that do their due diligence to trap and are very highly aware of the dangers of the Japanese beetle and it's, it's folks more in the, in the public sector and citizens and folks, you know, that just don't really maybe have access to the information about how dangerous this beetle is and the threat that it is to our area. You know, we don't want it to spread anywhere else. We don't want to be the source of that westward. Um, overall, I feel it would be a nuisance pest and no one wants it around. Yeah, no one wants it around. So uh, one more time, go over the information as to how citizens can get more information, uh, kind of, um, you know, get themselves on the same page as as everyone else. We'd, we'd like everyone to have the same information. How do we go about doing that? My recommendation would be, if you know who you want to contact, either contact the CDA, Mesa County Noxious Weed and Pest, or and, CSU Extension. And CDA is Colorado Department of Agriculture. Yes, thank you. Um, so you could contact different entities if you know who you'd like to talk to. And if, if you're not sure, you can call our phone tree. It's our Japanese beetle phone tree, which is 970-248-7000. And there are three options. You can either call the Colorado Department of Agriculture for trapping questions. You could call Mesa County Noxious Weed and Pest for questions on treatment. You could call CSU Extension in the Tri-River area for educational information. And please recall that CSU Extension, we have our doors open you know, to our community at this time. We are we're really looking for folks to, to come in and ask the questions that they have. We are definitely an office that is, is welcoming that. So please come in and you know bring us those lookalikes. If you're curious what you have, we're, we're happy to assist you. Those lookalikes probably aren't going to start showing up in your yard until July. So in the meantime, uh, do anticipate, if you're in the hot zone, do anticipate receiving a letter from Colorado Department of Ag and, and, Mesa, County. and Mesa County. Mainly Mesa County will be getting the mail out and there will be some consent forms for trapping and for treatment in there. And so the citizens are being asked to, to do their due diligence, to step up for their community, to take on this responsibility to get rid of the Japanese beetle in the Grand Valley. Right. And so, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of fuss going on, even though the number of adult beetles that were trapped was only... 239. So we're, we're all in a tither over 239 beetles, but those are only the ones that were caught. We don't know what the bigger number actually is correct or the area really i mean we have a map but 
traps went out a bit late. We detected beetles for the first time in July. Mm -hmm. They could have been set out before that. In May is when typically CDA sets out those monitoring traps. So just to be sure that every adult would be caught out of that air. Um, These traps are highly attractive. They're great tools. Um, We've gotten a great map, and we're off to a good start here in our area to defeat the Japanese beetle yet again. Yet again. And, And I really think... I really think if everyone just pulls together, puts their shoulder to the wheel, I think we can do it again. As far as, as timeline, um, how many years will we have to put up a good fight to, to really make sure that we've squashed the bug? Multiple. Really, it was 2003 to 2009 that there was an active eradication in Palisade, and I think we faced something very similar. That was really how long it took to, to watch numbers go from over 1,200 to zero. And we we will have multiple years of management ahead of us and awareness we need to create about this issue and why it matters so much, why we don't want it in our, in our urban and our agricultural community out here. Is there a possibility that the traps this year will catch more than 200 and however many? Yes, it's, my, it's what I suspect will happen. Okay, yes. so we mustn't be discouraged Correct. because by the time the adults emerge this year, we will already have started a, a good battle against them. That's correct. The, the, the defense. All right. Well, Mel, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Uh, just one me. last time, we're going to uh, give out that telephone number. It's the Japanese Beetle uh, Information Tree. That telephone number for people that would like to have information is 970 248 7,000. Again, 970-248-7000. It's the information tree for Japanese beetle. Thanks, everyone, for your time and patience this morning. Uh, Mel, thank you for your information. It's been great. Uh, if you've got a, a minute to come out and see us today at Book Cliff Gardens, uh, we're open until 4 o'clock today. Lots of go- good stuff has come in. Uh, to the gentleman that I promised to text about the asparagus, the asparagus arrived, but I lost your phone number. So come see me. That's it for this week. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>